Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of What Next. Uh, today we have a very special guest, a long, long time friend of mine who entered the industry in 1963. Uh, his name is Michael Donahue. And among the various things that Michael Donahue has done, in addition to working for an august agency called Dancer Fitzgerald Sample, which was eventually bought by Saatchi and Saatchi, he has been a pioneer and leader in digital at the four A's. And almost 30 years ago, put myself and a few of my colleagues on the stage mm. to say there was going to be this thing called digital. He's also worked at the ANA. And now he is an advisor and consultant and blog writer, among other things, in his sort of a middle age. Uh, welcome, Michael. Oh, thank you so much, Rashad. Great to have you. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about, you know, yourself and your career. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I have an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. I started at Dancer Fitzgerald Sample in 1963. Uh, I was there um, until 1994, and actually in 1986, Sachi's bought us, um, and I moved up the ladder very, very uh, quickly. And uh, uh, in fact, one of my favorite things that I did uh, 42 years ago, Procter and Gamble and General Mills still use it's a, a creative brief I I developed. It said you have to understand the the emotional and perceptual uh, understanding of the target you're reaching. Uh, I did that, and uh, and they still use that. Um, and I ran the Legs account um, and several other big accounts. Um, and uh, I also got uh, uh, lined up a, a, a wonderful agency in Detroit called the Mars Agency to uh, do uh, 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 account-specific marketing. Uh, and and I was always doing, you know, basically what, what, what I've been doing since day one is trying to uh, – um, uh, identify common sense ideas that I can help companies make into common business practices so they improve their uh, uh, profitable uh, brand growth. And the agencies need to help them too. So tell me how you ended up at the 4As. I ended up at the 4As because in 1994, um, Sachi said, uh, you've done a wonderful job for us, um, but uh, um, we are looking for uh, younger people. At that point, I was 55. So I joined the the 4As. My friend Bert Strake was running it, and he and I had grown up at Dancer Fitzgerald Sample. So I joined the 4As. And a month after I, I joined the 4As, the digital world sort of got started with three CEOs uh, uh, at our annual conference saying, you know, agencies, you have to lean in on this. And also, they wanted diversity to start leaning in. And Bert said, look, Donahue, you have always been about uh, wonderful, uh, disruptive ideas that are constructive, not destructive. So I want you to do that for me as the number two person at the four A's, but, uh, both on diversity uh, and on uh, and all this new uh, digital stuff. And he said, I think this digital stuff, uh, and back then they didn't even call it digital, it's a passing fad, but I want you to do that. So what I did then, I I got you, um, and Norm Laholier, and, and GM O'Connell, uh, two other really great people in the digital world to mentor me on digital. So there you were in 1994 at the 4As. Uh, I remember you putting GM and Norm Lehulia. So for those of you who are not aware of the 4As, the 4As is the American Association of Advertising Agencies, uh, now known as the 4As. Um, and the other two gentlemen that 
were put on the stage uh, have now sort of retired. Um, Norm Lehulio was one of the pioneers of interactive. He led Gray Interactive, including helping Procter & Gamble into the world of interactive. And the other gentleman was GM O'Connell, who started one of the first interactive agencies. It was called Interactive in those days versus Digital. Uh, his, the name of the agency was Modem Media, and they were famous for basically making and creating one of some of the first banners along with an agency called Organic. Um, and they did it for a, I think, a drink that no longer exists called Zuma. Um, and so Modem and uh, Gray were the two early things. And these were the two sort of leaders. And in those days, I was uh, working with Leo Bennett, and we had created an interactive agency called Giant Step, and all of us uh, ended up on a stage. Now, let me ask you, this is 1994. You are supposedly so seasoned uh, that you are in those days in apparently the retirement bracket. So you're 55, and there you are trying to help people into the future of interactive, what drug or drink did you have that made you do that? <laughs> oh, I loved uh, um, a margarita. I created a margarita recipe that I would be happy to share with all the uh, listeners here. You know, a little bit of limeade, um, some tequila and ice, and then you blend that. And yeah, so it was a te tequila has kept me going. Yes. Perfect. No, that's absolutely great. So anyway, so here we have, we have the interactive world starting, you're pioneering for the forays in that as uh, the sort of a person, you know, overseeing. And how many years were you at the forays? I was at the forays for 21 years. I left in 2015 right. um, to join the ANA as their digital uh, expert. And I did that for several years, and then after that, they they put me on the uh, uh, on the uh, member relations staff because, among many things, I did at the four A's. Member relations was one. Yes, great. So I'm going to do some math here, Michael, because I think we may have a record. Uh, we'll discover this. So when in 1994, when you started working at the four A's, you were uh, 55 years old, if I'm correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, we're almost in 2024, which basically means you're somewhere between 83 and 84 years old right now. I'm actually 84. I turned 84 February 21st. Great. So, Michael, I'd like to let you know that you are today the most seasoned. That's what I call us who are a little bit, you know, off years. You are today the most seasoned guest we've had on What Next? Because prior to this, the record was held by an 81-year-old called Maurice Levy. So oh, yeah, sure. Wow. Well, well, I'm so uh, happy. Yeah, <laughs> to, be, to be compared with Maurice Levy. Wow, yeah. thank you, Rashad. Well, so now you are the most seasoned guest. So now let me go into your three thoughts, provocations. I know you've been writing a lot, and you've been pushing the industry in sort of three key points. Uh, could you list them, and then we can discuss them? Well, um, yeah, the uh, 
it, it's you know I've been you know trying to get them really uh, pushing them on digital. In fact, I created a transformation conference in 2010, and you were one of the first speakers there. When and that's when you introduced uh, uh, the the future is not about the containers of the past. So I've been trying that, and and my my advising gig is called connect the dots. It's not just connecting ideas and people. It's connect the developers of transformation successes. Wow. I've been trying to help the, you know, companies really lean in hard on digital uh, technology. And, you know, to this day, I, I don't think enough of them have. Uh, so that, that's one thing. Uh, you know, in, in that 1994, month after I joined the, the four A's, may put me in charge of diversity. And one of the first things I did, which I was not able to do, and I'm trying to make it happen in, in, in 2023, is, is try to get companies, agencies, and marketers to do what I call two-way mentoring, which is, um, you know, getting a, a mid-30s, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, white person who is a, a difference maker at a company to mentor a, an incoming 22 year old black or Latin. And of course, ever since George Floyd died, there's a lot more interest by companies, rightly so, in trying to uh, to bring uh, those communities along. In, in addition to the mentoring by the white of the 22 year old, and that's not for affirmative action, it's to help the company do better. Well, the 22 year old uh, should be mentoring the 35 year old. And what, what, let's just say the black community is all about uh, what they're, uh, you know, so that the company knows how to engage those, uh, that community better so that they, you know, are able to sell more product to them and, and keep them in there because they really like the company. Right. No, I mean, you, you know, you have been, and I think that's one of the key things because without a doubt, you know, in 1994, 1998, 2000, you were both pioneering in digital and pioneering in diversity. Now, 20 years later or a decade and 20 years later, people have basically sort of seen the light. Yeah. Now, in your, you know, practice of transformational stuff, um, you've basically been saying three key things. One is that people should or marketers should focus on their heavy users. Yes. Or their core customers. Yes. The second thing that you've been basically mentioning to a great extent is that often Anybody, agencies, companies, uh, pay far less attention to their existing customers and too much attention to focusing on new business, but they should give their existing customers the same amount of you know, wonderful treatment as they do for new business. And then your third one is that we should focus on what you call screen agers, Yes. Which is sort of Gen Z and younger people. Yes. So let's start with the first one of your three, which is this concept of focusing on the heavy user versus the light user. Why do you say that? Well, I, what I really want to have happen, both for the younger, the two younger generations who are becoming heavy users of companies, if the companies are doing something they like, like purpose branding, influencer marketing, experiential marketing, uh, or even e-commerce, to focus on them because they are more profitable users. And, and there's so much more, there's so much first party data today that you can identify uh, what these uh, 
profitable users who they are. Even even uh, uh, retailers are, are sharing their buying data with companies so that, that the marketer can know if the person uh, is, uh, you know, for example, a Tide user is buying at full price because they like Procter for those other reasons I just said, or they're only buying it when the, when the price is cheap so that they don't price promote against them. And, and what that does is help the company do better, uh, uh, grow profitable usage faster. And I'm also working with the Marketing Accountability Standards Board because that's what they're all about, improving brand financial value. So that's that one. Got it. When you say, when people say, you know, if we keep focusing on our heavy users, then we won't extend and increase our audience and we need to get some of the light and medium users. Otherwise, you'll be too focused. Well, absolutely. I mean, even, even what I just said doesn't have to be heavy users. Uh, all the people I just said, the, the the brand loyalists can be light users. It's just that they happen to be uh, willing to pay full price. Got um, it. Got it. So this is about people who are willing to pay full, full price. So you should go after people who are not promotionally sensitive. Exactly. Uh, switching from brand to brand. Focus on the people who are loyal to you and give them, you know, what they need. Yeah, and understand them as as best you can. Absolutely, and you can, you know, with all the uh, uh, emphasis, more emphasis on uh, emotional reaction these days. And 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 as you remember, Rashad, back in the early two thousands, at, at the request of one of my four uh, A CEOs, I, I I leaned into the community to try to get them to look at emotional uh, response uh, to messaging and and experiences, not just rational response. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the key things is, is, you know, we've discussed, we choose with our hearts and we use numbers to justify what we just did. And often we don't pay as much attention to the emotion. And clearly, people who are loyal to a brand tend to have some form of emotional connection too. Yeah, well, and, and the thing is, your wonderful book, Returning the Soul of Business, is by helping that both with the community and also with your workers to understand emotional reaction. Yes. So, you know, so the first one really is focus on the people who are your brand loyalists, whether they're early users or heavy users, because they can be your most valuable, most profitable, and probably your best um, advocates, uh, yes. you know, to other people, because there's an entire thing of sort of advocacy. Exactly. Uh, which which make, makes a lot of sense. Yes, thank you. So I guess that also then translates into the world of service companies. You know, you've got your existing customers, you've got your existing clients, but so many companies basically sometimes take them, not for granted, but pay less attention and a lot of time and effort goes to sort of bringing in the new client. And your second point is, you should treat your existing client like they're a new business all the time. Absolutely. You know, and try to get them to be loyalists by understanding not just how much they love about the product, but what, what you're doing in the company, uh, you know, offering them access to influencers, uh, wonderful experiential uh, and and of course e-commerce, yeah, sure that that all you know gets them, especially the younger, the two younger generations. The uh, uh, you know, as you say, with the screenagers being the most, I think the most important these days. Yeah, got it. Now you know one of the key things with this is a a, a thought, and I, and I do agree with with this because one of the things that we've discussed, and one of the things that I often tell people is that, or share with people, is that. Most clients tend to want two things. They tend to basically want to make sure that they really want eight different things, but I put them into two buckets. So one is based on today, make sure that I sell stuff today, 
make sure that the trains run on time, uh, things that are supposed to be done get done, the right commercial or the right, today the execution gets shown to the right person. But at the very same stage in today's transformative world, they're very much interested in how do I get to tomorrow? And often what we tend to basically do is when we go for new business pitches, we talk about tomorrow. And for most of our existing clients, we just make sure today is taken care of. And at some particular stage, somebody visits them and says, yes, tomorrow. And they look at us and say, hey, I'm going with these new people. They're talking about tomorrow. And so uh, the, the version I basically say is we often keep the trains running on time and someone else comes and says it's time for an airplane. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I think that's one of the things that you sort of emphasize, which is sometimes yes. we got to like pitch our existing clients with new ideas and new thoughts. Otherwise, someone else is pitching them and they only see us looking after today. Yes, indeed. And, and as you said, and of course you do this so well, there are so many uh, new ideas. It's uh, uh, you know, that, that need to get to them. Got it. That makes, that makes sense. Now, you know, as, as someone sort of in your mid age of, you know, in your eighties, uh, how come you are so fixated on young people and screenagers? And tell me a little bit about that. Well, I've got, uh, two uh, younger children who are, uh, uh, one of them is a very uh, young millennial and the other is a, a very old screenager. And, and it's so important to understand them and what they're all about. And I do believe that their attitudes and a, approach to life are different than the, than the boomers and then my generation, because I'm even older than a boomer, and, um, and the Gen X, too, for that matter. Um, I, I don't know whether companies do enough research, especially emotional research, to understand what, what motivates and engages those uh, screenagers. Um, but it, you need to do that because... Uh, the screenagers and the millennials together account for over 40% of the population. And by the 2030s, they're going to be around over 50. And of course, you know, generations like mine, Rashad, leave the, are leaving the planet a lot faster than they are. So it's very important for marketers to understand what, it, what motivates the screenagers, what engages them and, and, you know, and, and, and to get their messaging better because they love to, those, those generations love to engage. They're not necessarily into messaging as much as they are into engaging. And, you know, and of course, one of my former CEOs, uh, Chris Weil at, uh, at Momentum understood that very much. Uh, and, and, but at any rate, they, you just really need to lean in hard on the millennials and screenagers, the younger millennials and, and the screenagers. So, uh, you understand what motivates them, what engages them, so you can, you know, uh, uh, accelerate the growth of your business, especially the profitable growth, because they do tend to lean in on, on, uh, on liking your company if you if you do it right. Yeah, yeah. I think you know what you sort of call screenagers, millennials, and millennials is what you call screenagers. A lot of them happen to be sort of Gen Z, and I think there are three big things with this, you know, younger people and the sort of next generation or the next two generations is they've grown up in a very different world than yes. many of us have grown up. And so often, you know, a lot of people who are um, sort of a more seasoned ilk who often to be very senior in companies basically believe that as these people mature, they will become more like us. And all early indications are that is not likely to be true. Uh, longitudinally, things don't seem to be that way. And there are these three big statistics that I think support your case. So the first one 
is most of these young folks, you know, Gen Z, et cetera, do not want to actually work for other people. They want to work for themselves. Mm, yes. So 76% of Gen Z want to work for themselves, um, which is much higher than younger people wanted to do in the past. Now, there are reasons to do that. One is the second point, which is 66% of baby boomers believe in capitalism and only 22% of Gen Z believe in capitalism because they don't believe that the system is fair to them. So you combine those two and these people basically say, hey, we want to do something different. And today in a world where you have tools, whether it be you know AI or Shopify or the ability to become an influencer or to create your own your own business is much faster today in the digital age where you can, you know, get resources and do all kinds of things online that you couldn't do in the past. So that's a one very big difference. Yes. The other one, which is something that you've been talking about for a long time, is purpose and values. They really do care about purpose and values much more. Um, not that we didn't care about purpose and values, but, you know, there's, I think, an undertone of like, hey, you people, you screwed up the world for us. Now we got to go fix it. Well, Rashad, you were so great. I would always have you be a keynote at the conferences I ran at the four A's. And, and it was at one of those conferences that, that you introduced the idea of the future is not about the containers of the past. And that fits exactly into what you've just, what you've just said. And right. Which is, which is a key, some of these key things with Gen Z, which is, you know, who they want to work for, how they want to work, what they believe. And obviously, you know, the medium is completely different. Um, and, you know, we had a, an earlier guest who basically said a couple of things. One is the marketing funnel, like we understood, is completely dead because people could actually start a campaign without using a product. And she also says the word campaign is a bad thing because to a great extent, we don't have campaigns. Or if we have, quote unquote, campaigns, she compares them to like the fountains of Bellagio. They go up and down versus rather <laughs> being a journey, which is like a river. Yes, indeed. Right? Yes. And, and, and the future is sort of like a, like a river, uh, you know, as, you know, whether it's Jody Mitchell or Carly Simon sing. Um, but I think, you know, those three are very sort of important points that you've basically sort of made. And the thing that I've always basically admired about you is you, you know, you think like a teenager even though you are sort of entering middle age. So that's, uh, you know, pretty, pretty interesting. Um, you know, as you look back on your career and, you know, people come up to you and say, hey, Michael, you know, if you wanted to give advice to anybody, young people, professional people, CEOs, what advice do you have? Any life advice besides obviously this great marketing advice? Well, one of them is uh, two, these two younger generations are leaning in much harder than the older generations on the importance of sustainable practices. And, um, uh, and that is so critical these days. And then even Wall Street's beginning to lean in to get companies to dive into sustainable practices. But the key thing is understand better what these younger generations are about. And, and importantly, the younger generations need to understand better what the older generation's about, because oftentimes uh, that's who they're working for. So, but going forward, the younger generations are going to be around a lot longer than the older generations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the terms that you've always sort of, sort of inspired me in two different ways is one is your ability to continuously learn. Yes. Uh, you know, like when I was 
doing all this digital stuff. I don't know. I was probably in my late 30s, um, you know, early 40s. And most of my colleagues said, why are you caring about this? We're going to basically be retired before any of this takes off. And then over time, most of them were forcibly retired because clients said they don't know what they were talking about. But you were almost 60 and you were pioneering this. So this whole idea of continuous learning was particularly sort of interesting. Um, and it's something that I think we should all remember that the day we stop learning is the day we die. As you know, Rashad, I, I wrote those uh, wonderful, you know, 78 st- uh, stories called Tall Tales because I'm, right. I'm six feet six, or I used to be, anyhow, I'm six four now. But one of the things that's so critical um, is that I had a nun in school who told me, Donahue, you know, you're really very smart. And uh, t- uh, there are two kinds of knowledge in the world. There's the kind of knowledge you have. And but there's also the kind of knowledge you don't have, and you need to know where to find it. And, and and Rashad, you've been doing that all your life, and I have too. And there are too many people who just say, "I know everything. I don't need to learn anything more." Uh, and that's so critical going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think we, we we now call it the growth mindset, and that's what you know Satya Nadella at Microsoft said: we have to stop going from knowing it all to learning it all, which is yes. one of the key things that you've basically said. And you know, also as part of that learning mindset, I think. One of the the things that you've also been very big on is sort of relationships yes. and trust. And I remember, you know, you basically saying there was a four and five and six that are word, which I then used in my book. Yes, yes. And you kept reminding people it's not just about data. It's also about trust and intent. Well, absolutely. And the thing is, um, you know, going forward, uh, as you know, I, one of the blogs I wrote for Joe Mandisi was that as great as, you know, as you're you know, doing new things and um, uh, uh, you don't want to be guilty of FOMO, fear of missing out. You, you also, and this is not just with, uh, with uh, digital, it's with so many other things. You don't want to be guilty of FOFO, fear of finding out uh-huh. what you don't know that, that you do need to know. Right. I think that is, that is, by the way, without going into the world of, you know, today's polarization and politics, uh, FOFO is actually good because people, I think, know what the truth is, but they look away because they don't want to find out. Yes. And so we then all live in our own little cuddly cocoons of mass cuddles and puddles of cuddles while the real world is happening around us. So, so Michael, one of the things also, you know, over the years, you, you tend to basically speak what's on your mind. How do you do that? <laughs> well, well, I do that. I mean, actually, uh, anybody listening to this will realize that I don't sound like I'm 84. In fact, my voice is on some ads that my late friend Alan Kay wrote a couple of years ago to get people to wear masks and 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 uh, and get vaccines. And uh, so, you know, I have a conversational voice. So, but so, and I love to talk to people in a conversational way, not in a formal way. And just, uh, you know, in, in business. And I've always been about that, which is why I, you know, presented so much and led so many conferences. And, and of course, you've always been about that, too. I mean, you know so much, but everything you say is conversational. And that's what people, especially the younger people these days, care about. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let me ask you if there's anything else, and otherwise I'll sort of wrap up our conversation. No, Rashad, it is all about, you know, uh, transformation is very critical, and it's not just digital transformation. People need to, you know, transform how they think, transform the fact that they don't know everything and go and find it. So transformation is such an important thing for people to do, not just digitally, but emotionally, rationally, perceptually, you know, and I think that's very critical. And that's what you have been about. And you started that in 2012 when you said the future is not about the containers of the past. That was that's really what transformation is. Yeah, well, you know, it's for both of us to basically say, hey, we're not the past. So don't think about it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. We've had the uh, pleasure of listening to Michael Donahue, a longtime legend. And as of today, our most seasoned guest. Uh, he is basically a spring chicken at the age of 84 who has basically shared with us some key points about how we should focus on our most loyal users, how we should think about the next generation, and how we should treat our existing customers as new business prospects. As importantly, he has reminded us that transformation is not just about digital, but it's about us learning and constantly learning new things. And that in a world where people are worried about FOMO, which is fear of missing out, we should also be aware of FOFO, which is fear of finding out. And we should continue to learn and find out stuff, even if it's, as our friend Al Gore said, an inconvenient truth. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Rashad. Welcome. What next? a publicist group podcast produced by Prodigious UK.